to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Our first hymn is, oh, we'll pray first. Let's pray. O God, you are most glorious, and we do come before you rejoicing that Jesus Christ has risen. We pray you would fill your church with the power that flows from Christ's resurrection, so that in the midst of this sinful world, it may signal the beginning of a renewed humanity, risen to new life with Christ, and joined with the heavenly host to worship you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 273, Jesus Christ is Risen Today. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Let us, therefore, rejoice by putting away all malice and evil and confessing our sin with a sincere and true heart, knowing that we depend on Christ's sacrifice for our new life with him. Let us pray together. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Preserve us, O God, and deliver us, for we trust in you. 
Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you we cry all the day. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to our prayer. Listen to our plea for grace. For you are great, and you have done wondrous things in our Lord Jesus Christ, overthrowing the powers of sin, death, and the devil through the death and resurrection of your Son. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, and be gracious to us, forgiving all our sins for Christ's sake. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts by the grace of your Holy Spirit to fear your name, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. Jesus Christ is the one ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I declare to you that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. People of Christ, by his resurrection and faith in him, in Jesus Christ, we are raised into his new life and into a new relationship with God. He has given us the new life of the Spirit, and in that life, he trains us up in his holy life. There is a holiness aspect of this, a holy aspect of this new life with, with Christ. Training in righteousness, the scripture calls it, and James says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." The suffering of life's daily hassles and problems and difficulties can be a catalyst for spiritual growth if we approach them in the spirit. We all face these things personally, I'm talking about personally and our own individual experiences, and they can be a catalyst. The Lord uses them, and we need to approach them with faith and trust in him and knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work in them. In this way, God trains us up in virtue. There are all kinds of trials that we face every day in our lives, people, work demands, family relationships, health trouble, and so on. These are tests to help us grow in Christian virtue by the work of the Holy Spirit. To grow, in other words, in patience, in fortitude, kindness, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and love. We can talk about those things. Even now I can say those words They don't have much traction in our lives until we encounter the trials and the situations where we must put them into play. That's not something that comes from our own strength, but from the Holy Spirit and the work of God's grace in our life. So when you face such a test, pray and ask God to help you respond according to the virtues of holiness, of the holiness of Jesus Christ, and not according to the old ways, the old practices of sin that used to dominate our lives. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 285, Jesus, Lord, Redeemer.
the close of day, desolate and weary, met you in the way. So when sun is setting, come to us and show Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, who in Jesus Christ is our Father, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. You are indeed the hope of the nations, the builder of the city that is to come. In Jesus Christ, your love is made visible, and you bring home the lost, and you restore sinners. We praise you because you did not abandon Jesus in the grave, but raised him up. We praise you that in him your redemption has invaded the present and that in union with Jesus Christ we both are are and shall be raised and made new. We praise you that through him you flood our lives with your overflowing grace and truth. We thank you for Jesus' sinless life, his death and resurrection, his ascension and continual intercession for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit with whom the risen Jesus is present with us even right now and who rules and directs our lives. Keep us faithful and obedient, both as individual Christians and as your church. Enable us to live as citizens of your heavenly kingdom. Help us to remember you and live our lives trusting you. Establish us, we pray, as witnesses to what is real, to your new order. Govern and direct your church, fill it with love, the love of Christ and truth, and grant it that unity which is your will. Give us boldness to preach the gospel in all the world and to make disciples of all the nations. Hear our prayers to that end for Sam Fulta and China and Mike McCabe and their families in China, for Hiro Hakobor and his family in Ukraine and the other Christians there and the, and the people who are suffering so much in Ukraine right now. Here are prayers for those who are serving you and for those in trouble. Inspire all the leaders in the church and its members with the Holy Spirit that by their teaching and their lives they may proclaim the good news of the gospel. We thank you for those who are are ordained in the ministry of the church like Jonathan Cruz and Marcus Jerriman in Kalamazoo and Jerry Newmeyer in Grand Rapids and the churches they serve. We pray you would bless those churches to grow and that you would help them bring the gospel to many in those cities. Give your people grace to hear and receive your word and to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. 
Bring into the way of the truth of the gospel all who do not trust you and walk in the way of sin. Hear our prayers for those who do not believe and do not confess faith in Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers for those who come to mind. Strengthen those who are weak, comfort and help the faint-hearted. Raise up the fallen, and finally we pray you would destroy the forces of evil in this world. Guide the leaders of the nations into the ways of peace and justice and righteousness, and so we pray for the people and the leaders in Ukraine, in Russia, Afghanistan, Nigeria, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Myanmar, North Korea, Mexico, and wherever there is much armed conflict and where Christians are attacked. Hear our prayers for these uh, nations, these places, and their leaders. May the leaders of, of our nation govern with humility under the law and with common purpose for the good. Grant them wisdom, O God. Watch over those who administer the law that they may uphold justice with honesty and truth. Bless and keep safe your church in our nation. Hear our prayers. Help and comfort the lonely and the bereaved. Deliver all who are in danger. Help the frail and the ill. We pray for Luca and Teddy, for Hannah and Terry, Eduardo, Jeff, Fawn, and our friends Scott and Becky, Chris Barker, Kathy, Mrs. Mesner, Angie, Shelley's father, Jamie's mother, Barbara's mother, and Karen. Give them grace to trust you, and hear us now as we bring our prayers individually to you with other names, and for these we've, we have named. Fulfill now, O Lord, the desires and requests of your servants, as may be most beneficial to us, granting us in this world the grace of your presence and the knowledge of your truth, and in the world to come, life everlasting, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Would you please stand and pray with me the prayer that's printed in the offering? Or for the offering printed in the bulletin. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has not spared your own Son, but delivered him up for us all, and through him has freely given us all your blessings, receive these offerings which we bring and dedicate to you, and enable us with all our gifts so to yield ourselves to you, that with body, soul, and spirit we may truly and freely serve you. Once again, as we come to the reading and the preaching of God's word, let us prepare our hearts and minds to receive this God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may it please you this morning to quiet our minds and still our hearts that we might be attentive listeners to your word, that it would find fertile ground in our hearts and in our minds, and that through your Holy Spirit, It would take root and produce fruit in our lives, fruit of obedience and gratitude towards you, our Heavenly Father. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 1 to 7. Listen now to God's word. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel." Our Psalter response, then, printed in the bulletin, comes from Psalm 118. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Why, songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. 
The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live, and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our epistle reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Again, God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And finally, our gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to his to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. I heard another argument for not observing Christmas, Christ's baptism, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost in the church. These big primary days uh, the church recognizes, or most of the church recognizes, related to Jesus Christ. I heard another argument for not observing them. It came from a pastor who said, we don't know when these days occurred, and therefore they cannot be rightly observed. He's uh, celebrated. He's, He's basically saying that we need to know the day to do it right. There's been disagreement in the church about what day Jesus was born and what day he died. And if we do not know what day he died, then we cannot know when he was raised from the dead. Not exactly. One way to interpret John's gospel is that Jesus Christ was crucified on Thursday, on the day the lambs were being slaughtered and uh, preparation for the Passover. Um, the other gospels indicate that he was put to death on a Friday which is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there are those who will make their case based on the fact that it could be that John is is signifying a different day, although John's gospel is highly theological, and it's very important for John to to make clear to us that Jesus is the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb sacrificed for us. The argument that we do not know the day does not deny that all these things happened. It's not an unbelieving argument like Jesus didn't really die and, and was not really raised. It simply wants to justify itself for not celebrating them in the church year. It's kind of like we don't do this and now we're looking for a reason why we don't do it. Now the early church had another disagreement about the dating of Jesus' death. There were two ways of dating Jesus' death and resurrection. In the second century, there was a debate about whether the church should observe Jesus' death on the actual day it occurred or whether it should be observed according to another pattern. In other words, Jesus died on a Friday and then he was raised on the first day of the week, which in the the Hebrew Jewish calendar is a Sunday. And so that's the pattern and, and you could follow that. The day he died was probably the 14th of Nisan, which is that March to April period in the Hebrew calendar. So he probably died on the 14th of Nisan. And the problem with the exact day is it changes from year to year, right? We know that in our own calendar. So the 15th of April, um, when we celebrate a Good Friday this year, is not going to be what the date for Good Friday next year. The day, the number, day changes. One year it's on a Tuesday, another year it's on a Wednesday, so on and so on. So some said the church's observance of Good Friday should be on the 14th of Nisan, no matter what day of the week it was, which would mean that Good Friday could be on a Monday, which means you don't call it Good Friday anymore, I don't think. Others said it should always be on Friday. Jesus was put to death on that Friday, and it should always be on the Friday. Even today, when we come back to Easter, even today the church does not celebrate Easter on the same day. You probably have picked this up, but the Eastern Orthodox churches... Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, you know, the Syrian Orthodox, all these different Orthodox churches, they follow a different calendar than the Western churches, Protestant or Catholic. 
And that different calendar celebrates, uh, well, follows a different calendar. So Holy Week and Easter for them is not usually in sync with ours. And, and so what's happening is this year, Easter for the Orthodox churches is next Sunday, not this Sunday. This Sunday is Palm Sunday for them. But obviously we celebrate Easter today. So there are even some differences today about the dating. But here's the point, and we shouldn't miss the point, whether... Whichever calendar the church follows, it does celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. Even if it's not on the exact day that it happened 2,000 plus years ago, we celebrate what happened to Jesus because these are events. They are the events of Jesus' work of salvation for us, and they determine and shape our Christian life. And so we celebrate them. They are significant. They are crucial for our life as a church and in our Christian life. Now, Easter is a time of exuberant joy in the church. In our gospel lesson this morning, Mary Magdalene and the beloved disciple encountered the risen Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. For us Christians today, our worship has a bit more lift in it than usual. The hymns are a little more, uh, I don't know, uh, bright, you might say. In many churches, more people show up for worship. This is, I think, less and less the case, but it has been the case that sometimes, you know, you have the Easter and Christmas Christians, you know, show up for worship on Christmas and Easter. But the churches would tend to swell on Easter. Cheerfulness spreads from one face to another. And the songs are more boisterous, breaking out with joy. And the church knows these Easter hymns well. We we were short pianists, our regular pianists, and so... Um, Mr. Caesar was willing to fill in, and I asked him, you know, how's it going? Because he, he doesn't play, he used to play lead worship somewhere um, all the time, but not as much now. So I asked, how's it going? Oh, these are familiar, I know them. He felt good about them, and he's doing great. <laughs> but you can hear it in the words of these hymns that we all know so well that we love to sing on Easter. Welcome, happy morning, age to age shall say, hell today is vanquished, heaven is won today. And that one is based on a hymn from the 6th century, by Venantius Fortunatus. Not the tune, but the words, the hymn um, is, is his. Good Christian men rejoice and sing, now is the triumph of our King. Jesus Christ is risen today, alleluia. We sang that, or version of that, uh, first in our worship. And I've always thought those alleluias in there, I don't know if you hear this, but the alleluias in that hymn sound like joyful laughter. <clears throat> laughing at death. And then there's this one, that Easter day with joy was bright, the sun shone out with fairer light, when to their longing eyes restored, the apostles saw their risen Lord. I've experienced this joy in the church since I was a young boy. I was raised in the church, I was raised in a Christian family, I've, I've never known anything else in terms of worship or trying to live a Christian life. And as a young boy, I remember our our sanctuary filled with uh, the people singing and we were singing these same hymns and it's it's a wonderful memory for me. Wherever I've been on the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, the church has been full of exuberant joy. That is if they're recognizing Easter. Now for us Christians, it's a joy that transcends all the problems in our world and in our lives. Peter Lightheart sums up these problems well. An elderly woman dies of COVID in a nursing New York nursing home, untouched, uncomforted, surrounded by strangers, dressed like astronauts, forbidden to see her grandchildren except through a plexiglass 
shield. Our world where Russian bombs rain down from above while a pregnant woman gives birth to her first child inside a Kiev subway station. In the war-torn, locust-infested Tigray region of northern Ethiopia, boys and girls starve to death before relief can reach their village. Islamist gangs kill and burn their way through villages in Nigeria. In Thailand, the young are kidnapped and initiated into the sex trade. Millions grow up in the brutal worlds controlled by drug lords. Jesus' resurrection rises above these atrocities, and so we worship with great joy in the midst of the death and tragedies of this world. I can tell you that today or next Sunday, Christians in Russia, Ukraine, Tigray, Bangkok, Jerusalem, Mexico, New York City, Beijing, who have suffered through terrible tragedies, will gather And worship the risen Jesus with joy, the joy of Easter. And they're right in the middle of it. It's not that these horrific events are not serious. No one's saying that. They most certainly are. It's not that Christians do not ache and grieve. But we still worship the risen Jesus Christ because the horrendous events in this world are not first. They're not primary. They're not what what rises to the top, not for us Christians. As our lesson from Colossians says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And it doesn't mean be some kind of a wishful thinker who who just sort of thinks about going to heaven and ignores the world. That's not at all what Paul's saying. He's saying if you're hiking, you tend to set your sight on where you're headed, especially if you can see it. And so you set your, your view on your goal and you head towards that. But it doesn't mean you're not looking around, make sure you don't trip over rocks and roots and other things. So Paul's not saying that we're to ignore this world and the problems going on, but where's our sight? Where's our vision focused? The risen Jesus fills us with joy even though there is death in the world. And ironically, this joy comes from taking death seriously. It's a huge mistake for Christians to think that, that we shouldn't take death seriously. Of all things, we take death seriously. The gospel includes Jesus' death. He really died. He died on a cross. And that's, that is what happened before the first day of the week when Mary, Peter, and the beloved disciple came to the tomb. Jesus was crucified and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's what the Gospel of John says. And his disciples took the body of Jesus, bound it, in linen cloths with spices, as is the custom, burial custom of the Jews, and they laid Jesus in the tomb. The reality of death is a necessary part of believing in Jesus Christ. And yet we live in a culture that does not take death seriously. In our culture, we hide death. We cover it up with makeup as it lies in a casket, and we smooth it over with our sentimental memories and our parks. Our cemeteries have become parks. I've mentioned this in other sermons. A long time ago, cemeteries looked like the places of the dead. You didn't really want to go in there, except maybe once a year to remember the the death of your loved one. But you typically did not want to go hang out out in a a cemetery. They were cold, they were dreary, and dark places. There was something sinister about them. Once in a while, I've stumbled across these old kinds of cemeteries, I saw one in South Carolina near where my mother and my sister, brother-in-law live, 
in a small old town that dated back to the 18th century. And there was a rusted iron fence, uh, iron rod fence surrounding this old cemetery. A few old trees were in the graveyard with that long Spanish moss hanging down over the graves. That, to me, just, just sets the whole tone. Um, the gravestones were uneven. They were broken. They were weather-worn. The ground around the graves was dry with brown tufts of grass here and there. And it fascinated me because it was so different from our modern cemeteries. This cemetery was two, three hundred years ago. Our modern cemeteries are very different. Standing there, I had the sense that death was in that place. It was in the middle of the 19th century that cemeteries began to be turned into well-landscaped parks. That's what they are. The grounds have nicely trimmed lawns and gardens. There are fountains with cool, gurgling water and paths to walk on. Nothing's cold or dreary about them. They're actually kind of enjoyable places to walk through. I know of people who do take walks through the cemeteries in Berkeley and Royal Oak. And one person told me that it was a very good place to teach his child how to drive on the roads in the cemetery. Well, today, there is the popular philosophy that death is part of human life. It's just a natural part of it's natural, and we should accept it as the way that life is. In biology, human death is described as a part of the cycle of nature. We are generated through procreation. We exist at the top of the food chain. And as we consume plants and animals, we continue to live. Our life keeps going. Over time, we mature, and then we die, right? And that's the cycle. Our bodies return to the ground where worms and fungus and bacteria and other forces of nature decompose the elements of our bodies that our bodies contain. The result of this whole natural process is our bodies are dispersed back into nature And the cycle goes on and on, right, around and around. And the reality of death is hidden in all of this, the reality of it, the full significance of it. Modern spirituality has a different way of hiding the reality of death. One way or another, we are told that even though we die, we'll live on somehow. Death is merely a passing from here to there. It may be painful, but the other side makes it worth it. And these spiritualities present an idealized form of that life on the other side. They always tell us that it's blissful and serene, ethereal and perfect. Those who have died, we are told, are indescribably happy, and they want us to know that they are peacefully content. Some versions of American spirituality throw God into the picture as a mystical divine being using his power to help us. By hiding death in our culture, death seems much less real. Not something we have to take too seriously. In spite of our best attempts to hide it, death is a terrible reality. Its dark shadow reaches across the whole world. Death is the tragic end of our lives. We Americans have been deluded by our affluence and our ways of hiding death until we think that death is not so terrible after all. Try telling that to the young ones being killed in the drug cartels in Central America or to those people who are being bombed to death in Ukraine. In most parts of this world, death is seen for it what it is. It's the destroyer. It's the thief that comes for each one of us. And what makes this worse is that death is not just out there in the world. It's within us. We are born, and in a few short years we mature, and then somewhere between the ages of 25 and 30, sorry, Angelo, 
we begin to decline. Our body is not as agile and strong. Our mind begins to lose its sharpness. Our endurance and stamina begin to wane. You may not notice that all at once, but it begins. And it's not just the physical part of us. There's the spiritual deadness in all of us. Scripture refers to it as darkened minds, foolish thinking, stone-hard hearts turned against God. We are cut off from him. We are lost. We are entombed in our sin. In a word, we are dead toward God. According to Scripture, we were dead through the trespasses and sins in which we have lived. Death is not just outside in the world. It's within us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us to take death seriously, both outside and inside us. Now, this might seem like a thoroughly depressing sermon for Easter Sunday, except for this. When we take death seriously, then we are filled with great joy because of Jesus' resurrection. In our gospel lesson, Jesus has been raised from the dead. When Mary Magdalene came to the tomb at sunrise on that Sunday, she found the stone that sealed the grave removed. And when Peter and the beloved disciple peered inside the tomb, they saw the linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' body, folded and neatly piled, uh, placed in a pile. And outside the tomb, when Mary was by herself, the risen Jesus came and spoke with her. Jesus had risen. He had overcome death, and to be more precise, Jesus defeated death once and for all. And there's one who rules over death, and that is Jesus Christ. I like how our final hymn puts it, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son, endless is the victory, thou or death hast won. Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again. Jesus will never die again, ever. Death shall never come for him because he has defeated death. That's why the grave, grave claws were nicely folded and placed at one end of the tomb. Here they are, folded, put away, never to be used again for Jesus. They were no longer needed. Jesus overcame death, real death, the full reality of death in this world, and that includes the death toward God that is within us, the full extent and reality of death. And we see this in our story with the beloved disciple and with Mary Magdalene. As soon as they heard the report from Mary, Peter and the beloved disciple hurried to the tomb, and they entered the empty tomb, and our text says, The disciples saw and believed. And it wasn't the tomb itself that caused this faith. I think that's a mistake a lot of Christians seem to make, is that, oh, he saw the tomb was empty and therefore he had faith. No, it wasn't because the tomb was empty. It's because Jesus had risen from the dead. The risen Jesus caused his faith. At the empty tomb, the beloved disciple encountered the risen Jesus, but not like Mary did. Jesus did not physically appear to him like he did to Mary. And nevertheless, Jesus had risen, and the beloved disciple encountered him at the tomb. The risen Jesus was present, just the disciple couldn't see him. Jesus raised from the tomb was not fully seen, but he was really present. Later, Jesus appeared to his disciples in the room. This is another story later on. And to Thomas, he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that was the beloved disciple who went to the tomb with Peter. Even though he had not seen the physical appearance of Jesus at the tomb, he believed. Look at verse 8. He believed even though he had not seen the physical body of Jesus. The beloved disciple's faith sprang from his encounter with the living Jesus. 
The living Jesus encountered him, and that's why his faith came. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved the disciple before the disciple had faith. At the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Gospel of John says Jesus loved him. And that's how the disciple is identified throughout John's Gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The beloved disciple, that's who it is. It was this encounter with Jesus, risen from the dead, and his love for the disciple that caused faith to rise up within the beloved disciple. The beloved disciple did not believe because of his own ability. He believed because of Jesus risen from the dead. And it was the same with Mary Magdalene, who although she saw the physical appearance of Jesus, that's not why she believed. She stood outside the tomb weeping. She believed that Jesus was dead. Mary looked inside the tomb and she saw the angels and they asked her why she was weeping. She was sure that Jesus was dead. Jesus came to her and he asked her why she was weeping and she told him that someone had moved Jesus' body. She still believed Jesus was dead. And then he spoke her name. And it was not until Jesus called her by name that Mary knew that he was Jesus raised from the dead. Even looking upon Jesus doesn't cause faith. Jesus could stand here right now outside these walls and the whole city of Southfield could see him and that would not cause faith in and of itself. It's the risen Jesus looking at Mary. It's his seeing us and calling us by name that produces faith in us. It did in Mary and it does in us. The risen Jesus causes faith to rise up in Mary. The cold, dark death of sin and unbelief within the beloved disciple and Mary Magdalene was overcome by the risen Jesus. And this is precisely what the living Jesus has done with each one of us who have faith in Jesus and believe he is our Savior. We've not seen his physical appearance, nor have we been able to look inside the empty tomb or talk to the angels. And even if we had, these would not have produced faith in us. They might have confirmed our faith if we already had it, but they would not have produced faith in us. What caused us to have faith in, in, in Jesus is his encounter with us. He has encountered each one of you who believe. You have not seen him, and yet he is alive and he has come to you. You do not know him until he has called you by name. And when he did call you, faith and love for him arose up in your heart. I don't know how old you were when that happened, but that's, that's how it came. And now you have confessed your faith in him and you know him. You know he's, the, he's Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Your faith and love for Jesus is evidence that though Jesus was put to death, real death, he is risen and is alive and he's ruling in this world. And that's why we Christians are filled with exuberant joy today. That even though death is real, Jesus died and was raised to overcome death in this world and within us. And he has come to us. And we believe. And in a minute, you'll confess that faith again that you've already professed, and we'll, we'll say it together. The Christian life depends on the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, by his resurrection, creates a new life. Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, there is a new creation. Jesus was not raised back into the old life of sin and death. It's not like he was raised up and it's just like he's just continuing on where he left off a few uh, days before. His resurrection begins new life, and it begins in this world. It begins now. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, motivates us Christians to bring life to where there is horror 
and death in this world. Now, other people try to make the world a better place. There's even a song about it. I think it's Michael Jackson. Try to make the world a better place. And they have their reasons for why. And some of them do a lot of good things. Yet there is also a kind of fatalism among people today, such as when people say those who are drug addicted will always be drug addicted. So let's give them clean needles. Let's just make it safer and easier for them and leave it at that. Or the participants in the porn industry freely choose to do so, and therefore it's justified because they exercise their their will to do it. Fatalism is that that's the way it is, and it's just going to have to stay that way. Jesus Christ raised from the dead means that God brings new life and that this new life has begun in this world. It's a life that is in Jesus Christ, but it has begun. Consequently, Christians work to stop the sex trade. There's a shelter in Ohio organized by Christians that helps women get off the street and start a new life with Christ. Christian priests and pastors pushed hard against the state during the COVID lockdown in order to be able to visit those in nursing homes and comfort them with the presence of Christ. Christians work hard to help people forgive each other, both in the church and outside of the church. We send food to the hungry, and we try to broker peace. Now, non-Christians do some of these things, but we do them because Jesus has risen, is alive, and has created new life for this world. And therefore, we can work against all the sin and death and evil in this world and in ourselves with complete seriousness and hope because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us confess our faith using the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. One Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, through whom all things were made who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 267, The Day of Resurrection.
hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In this meal, Jesus gave himself, gives himself to us to feed us, meaning that he's the source of our new life with God. Speaking of the reality of that new life that Jesus gave, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. We say with the Apostle, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, in order to seal the promise of his sustaining us with his own life, he instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was arrested, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the Lord's table, and here he joins us together. Those who come to this holy meal promise to trust and love and obey him as the Lord of every realm of life and to live in love and concern for each other. All who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and belong or are identified with the Christian church, are invited to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. Join with me in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed good and right, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Almighty and Eternal Father. For you are the one who created us, and you give us all manner of good things in this life. But especially, you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for us. And in the joy of the resurrection, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ. And praise you, the host of heaven, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna, in the highest. And so now we remember, along with your whole church, we remember that he who dwelt with you became a man and joined us in the flesh. We, we remember that he was obedient even as he was delivered up to die. And we remember that you have glorified him. He was despised and rejected by man, but you raised him up. So we glorify him and exalt him, who is the author of life, the victor of our salvation. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. We thank you that Jesus lives and comes to be present with us. Come, O Holy Spirit, now and make this meal most holy. Take up the bread and the cup so that we are nourished and fed by Christ. Give us faith in him. In this way, may the new life of the risen Lord be our life, both now and forever. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Heavenly Father, forever and ever. And with one voice, we make our thanksgiving, and together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, 
do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's blood and body given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Lord God, our Father, through our Savior Jesus Christ, you have assured your children of eternal life and in baptism have made us one with him. Deliver us from the death of sin and raise us to new life in your love in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The final hymn is number 274, Thine Be the Glory.
Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. be seated. We'll take a moment to look at our calendar, uh, which begins with um, not having Christian ed classes today, as there will be um, holiday uh, family activities going on. No classes today. Further down the week, Thursday night Bible study at 7 o'clock here at the church. And then Friday evening, Prayer, um, this Friday evening, 6.30, at the Wilson's apartment. Yeah, on that, if you're going to come, uh, let, let, let us know. Um, that would be helpful. But you won't be able to get to the building unless you call us. Um, I might be able to stand down there for five or ten minutes. But um, you want to come to the back, park in the back. Probably on the south side, you'll find more parking places. And then the center doors in the back of the apartment um, is how you get up. But it's locked. So um, call me and I will get you up there. So, Okay? Remember the conference, the talk on the creeds in the church at Oakland Hills Church on Friday evening, April 29th? And then the Conference on Christian Unity in Battle Creek on May 13th. Um, Scott, my brother, had his consultation at Carmanos. Initially, they didn't have um, many ideas, but they came up with, uh, identified a clinical trial as a possible treatment. I just found out Friday from him, and I think he would like to try to do that. I think he has to be accepted for that trial, so... Please pray that that is a possibility for him, if you would. Thank you. Heidi? Um, I just want to give you an update. I did talk to, well, we emailed each other, a person at Lawrence Tech. And uh, it sounds like, so far, everyone's been very open to the idea. Uh, But it's the end of the semester. There aren't very many students through the summer, so she suggested we start this in the fall. But I'm going to go speak to her at the end of May after the semester is over. So just keep praying that we get an open door there. The idea is to go and have uh, like for an hour, midday, on once a week, and just offer to pray to the students. And maybe have a sign up. Do you need prayer? I don't know. Um, but we'll figure something out. And uh, also, <clears throat> that lets them know our church is here and they can come down here too on Sunday. So. Could Jeffrey Hannon give you the okay? For what? What? She gave you the okay to say. 
Yeah. Oh, can we do? That's what Annie said. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yes, okay. So our daughter, Hannah Dutt, is pregnant. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, that she's due or what? Mm-hmm. October 13th? Uh, October 30th. Yeah. Annie, aren't you glad that wasn't... <laughs> In the future, Annie, you just might want to chat with the elders beforehand. Please. And finally, does anyone know the significance of the hot cross bun? Well, to my delight, I saw them. You know, you shouldn't ask questions you don't know the answer to. I saw hot cross buns. I love hot cross buns in in the kitchen. So it has something to do with Easter. The cross is a... Is symbolic. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>